Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. On this episode, we feature Jen McFadden, uh, who is currently an instructor in the Athletic Training Program and Kinesiology Department at Kansas State University. We got to know Jen through many a trip to Manhattan, Kansas, or, or covering track meets at their indoor and outdoor facility uh, during my time at Oklahoma State and Jen's time with their track and field team. From there, we've loosely kept in touch. It's been quite a while, but we've had a lot of interesting conversations and looking at different things. Uh, we talk about a little bit in here and my uh, need to challenge just throwing ice on absolutely everything. Uh, but here we get into just some of the changes that are coming in athletic training, what that means, where we think that can take everything, and just generally where the profession's going and why it worked out for Jen to go from working high-level NCAA track and field to now the role that she is in and that it's just been a good transition for her and something that's worked out really well. So with that, hope you enjoy this episode. Feel free to leave a comment, send us a message. And again, if you want to be on AT Chat, please just shoot us a message through our webpage at www.athletictrainingchat.com. With that, you ready to go? Let's go. All right. Well, welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. We are on with Jen McFadden, who is at Kansas State University in that unique color of purple and silver uh, from coming down the interstate there from good old KU. But uh, <laughs> we are talking today um, about kind of everything Jen's done because we got to know each other working Big 12 track and field, uh, a lot of track meets. Um, hanging out, uh, getting through them, some of those long ones. But then now with her transition over to the instructor and advisor role and everything she's seen along the way. So uh, without going too much further, Jen, feel free to give any more background, kind of where you, how you've ended up where you're at. Yeah. So, um, I mean, really just to take it back, I started at Western Illinois. That's uh, where I got my undergraduate degree, completed that there. Um, knew that I wanted to work in Division One athletics, um, so I took a big leap to Kansas and took a GA position at K-State um, with their track and field team, and um, like Joel said, our, our paths crossed many times, uh, both indoor and outdoor season um, with track, and so it was great to um, build that network of people um, while I was working on my master's degree um, in counseling and student development with a focus in intercollegiate athletics. Um, and it sort of took a turn. Um, probably about a year and a half into being a GA, I sort of realized I didn't necessarily want to work in Division One athletics. Um, so it was sort of trying to navigate what my next steps were going to be in terms of a job. And so um, I was approached the January after I graduated, um, so January 2015, by the former program director for the athletic training program. And she said, hey, we have a, a teaching spot open. I think you'd be great for it. Um, you know, what do you think? And 
at this point I hadn't committed to any jobs and I said, why not? And so August 2015 was my first semester um, of teaching. I'm sure my students are super thankful to uh, be done with that class. Um, we all transitioned together, but um, I am just getting ready to finish my fourth year um, teaching. I started advising about three years ago, so my first group of seniors is actually getting ready to graduate in uh, 28 days, as they like to remind me. Um, and so, yeah, so I still um, I maintain my certification, maintain my licensure. I do a little PRN work on the side um, now for a small high school um, about 35 miles south of here. Um, but yeah, basically just using my experiences and my love for athletic training to hopefully inspire the next generation of professionals. Very nice. Uh, I know the first one I had on there is, you know, the what lessons and experiences did you feel like you came away with, you know, working division one, especially track. Cause I know this is a conversation I have with a lot of our undergrads is if you think you want to be division one, you got to go check it out because it yeah. is a little bit different world, especially coming from. Um, a division three institution where I'm at currently just yeah. in terms of resources and time commitment really are your biggest things in my eyes that I've seen. And, you know, just that division one can be awesome. And there's a lot of people that have great careers and long careers there, but it also is a completely different animal for lack of a better description. So no, I don't yeah. know, what, did, what did you take away from yeah, that? So I was really excited when I started because Western Illinois is a division one school, but it's a one double A. So it was never that like really big school experience. And so big reason I went to Western is, I mean, my parents paid for my education. So I was sort of bound by, you know, hey, where could I go? And so I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I am so grateful that I went there, but I knew if I was going to go on to grad school, I wanted to really go somewhere big. And um, you know, K-State really just had that big campus, big school feel, but you know, it's a very small community and small campus. And so um, I think with track too, it's even its own unique beast because working division one track is like working six division one sports at once because it's, it's a team sport, but it's also event individual. And so I think that that really put a strain on the time commitment because I mean, kids were going all day, all night and it just, it got to be a lot. And so then I'm also on top of being a GA and, and um, going to school and being a student and, and not just trying to be a student, but trying to be a good student. Right. Um, you know, I think that that's, that's something I tell a lot of my students as they get ready to be GAs is, is you can be a student, but then you can also be a good student. You know, I think a lot of times GAs get really bad raps because they're, they're only doing it to work, which I think is, I mean, the big reason what we do, but I think a lot of it is I, I just wanted to be a good student too. So I really dove into my work and, and 4.0 my master's program, but that wasn't easy working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and traveling. But it was, it was a different beast. It was, uh, I think the hardest thing for me working division one athletics was that there was sort of this unspoken rule, quote unquote, if you will, that you had to treat your, your, your point scores, your medal winners, your, you know, your elite athletes differently than your freshmen that walked on. Um, you know, there was this, this underlying expectation that if, if someone came in that was of that sort of elitist status and needed treatment, you were to tend to them right there. And that was a hard personal battle for me because I just, 
I loved all my kids and loved all my athletes. And it was hard for me to sort of separate them into like, well, you deserve all my time because you score us major points and you I'll get to you when I get to you. And so that became really hard and a really big challenge. And I tried really hard to combat that, um, you know, just with my athletes and, and try to really show my students that, you know, it doesn't really have to be, but I think that that in and of itself is a really tough thing with division one athletics is there's these sort of these unspoken unwritten rules of, <laughs> of that. And, and that gets to be hard. It's a, it's a really personal conflict. And, and that was really hard for me. And, and that was probably a big reason why um, I really started to think, you know, is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life? And then the time commitment was huge. You know what? I was at work. I mean, Joel, you know, you worked big 12 track too. I mean, 12, 13 hours a day, six, seven days a week. And it just, it's a lot. It is, it is a lot. And track goes and very few people understand that track is an all year, you know, even in the summer, all my international kids were still here training. Right. So it was like, when did you ever really get a break? Um, I mean, the best thing I think was we went to big 12s in Lubbock for 2014 and I was done with my schoolwork and I, it was like the, like that bus ride down and bus ride back. All I did was like read books for fun. Like I didn't have right. to read, you know, I think after I got done with nationals in July, I think all I did for two weeks was just sleep. Like I just wanted to like regain some stability, but you know, like you said, I think you really have to go and try it to really see if it's a hat that fits you. And, and I did, and I don't regret it because I, I wouldn't be here, you know, if I didn't. Um, but you know, a lot of times my kids get really caught up in the name of a school, yep. um, the, the, these universities and the, these universities. And I think like you have to go and see it because if you don't see it, you don't know if that's where you're going to call home for your next couple of years. So definitely got to try it. Agreed. Yeah. I haven't missed trying. I haven't had a hard time figuring out how to fill my weekends when I have got some more freedom, not yeah. traveling to attract me every right. weekend of the year. Yeah. That but and I just think too, like, I mean, obviously you and I are in completely different, like adult places in our life, but like you're married now. Like, could you imagine doing that, that lifestyle in trying to be married? Like, I don't think I'd be married. No. <laughs> she would, she would agree with that a hundred percent. I'm fairly I positive. I'm, I mean, I'm really glad I did it when I did in my 20s. I think that was like the the best time to do it. But, right. you know, I think now and I'm like, I just turned 31 last week and I was like, there is no way I could still be doing this. I was like, I get tired just teaching two classes. Like <laughs> I couldn't imagine traveling anymore. So sure. but I was grateful for it and I'm glad I did it when I did. So ultimately taking that away. Sounds good. Uh, one I'm actually very curious about is, Watching you and I'm blanking on his name. Um, Nobu. Nobu. Yep. Yeah. Uh, did some interesting things um, <laughs> in terms of treatment wise. Not that they weren't effective because obviously some of the caliber of athletes you were working with um, were incredible and things worked. Uh, but how has that evolved, especially being on the educational side and yeah. with a big push towards evidence based practice? I've got my personal feelings on it and have come to some discussions with people about, you know, what evidence-based practice versus effective practice. And so I'm curious now that you've been on both sides of the, yeah. of that to some degree. Yeah. So just to provide people with, with a little background. So Nobu's Japanese. And so a lot of what he brought into treatment wise was based on that. 
Um, they were things that were not born or formulated in the U.S., lots of international kind of treatments. And so um, it was very cool to learn a lot of different things. But I think a lot of the times what we were doing was just a means to an end. It was we are going to do everything we can to get this person to perform without really kind of understanding or being able to really know kind of what's going on. And so um, it's, it's interesting to talk about evidence-based practice because I think when I was going through undergrad, this wasn't something we learned about, right? It's this concept that we as athletic trainers, if we didn't know something, we just went out and looked at it. And so it's been something that we've been doing, but I don't remember, now granted it was a really long time ago that I went to college too, but I don't remember like sitting in a class and like talking about evidence-based practice and talking about you know, developing a clinical question and the five steps to evidence-based practice. And so to then have to teach that was, was interesting because I'm like, man, I don't remember, you know, really having this great big lesson. And so, um, you know, I, I teach the intro class. And so we really get going with evidence-based practice from the get-go. Um, and I just basically tell my students that you, you have to be able to have an answer as to why you're doing what you're doing. You know, we can't just do things anymore because that's what so-and-so did before us or that's what the textbook told us or that's what people have done you know for years I, I always use the example Joel and I know you're a huge proponent of, of you always have conversations about ice and how, <laughs> right so I always use that example in class and I'm like you know guys what is the first thing you do when you roll an ankle and they're all like oh we put ice on it and I'm like why and it's just like no one can tell you why and so I just tell my kids you know you have to be able to back up what you're doing and you can't just rely on well this is what they this is what they did before me right you, you can't do that anymore because sometimes these people that come before you you know haven't been in a classroom for 10 plus years and they're going off that mindset of well this is what we did then and so i just try to bring that to my students of you know you have to be able to back up you know what you're doing and why and then we also talk about it from a standpoint of you know there's you know, we all have resources and things available to us at different levels. And I, I try and tell them that, you know, there is probably somebody out there that has found a way to do it the way that you want to. And you need to go find what that looks like and how to implement that. And so, you know, I think evidence-based practice is is huge. And I think I, I, I implement it early with my kids. We, we start the research process. We develop clinical questions because we can't just rely on well, this is what my athletic trainer did at my high school, you know, without really being able to answer that why. And so um, it's been fun for me to be able to talk about, because I still do a little bit of PRN work. And so when my track coaches at Council Grove asked me for like a throwing warm up for their throwers, I was like, oh, perfect. And I like dove into the literature and I like referenced all these literature pieces and like put this all together. And I think the coach was like, I just wanted exercises and I was like, no, but I, I need to show you why, why this over others. So um, I think it's just really being able to justify what you're doing and, and we just can't, we can't say well just because anymore. And so I think when I was working track, there was a lot of just because this, because we just needed to get people to perform. Um, and that was hard and it was cool because there was, I got to use some, some pretty, fun instruments, but to not really be able to understand or to even be able to really know 
um, to even teach my students was hard. And so I definitely take a lot more of an evidence-based approach into my teaching now um, since I wasn't able to really do that because Nobu was like, just do it. (laughs) (laughs) So. Yeah, that's one I definitely harp on um, with ours being very student run here is you can come to me with an idea, but you got to have a why. Yeah. And the why can be, here's what I'm kind of thinking, but I don't have it all completely ironed out and that's okay. And sometimes we get to the throw things at the wall and see what sticks like that happens, but we got to be somewhat systematic in it. And I agree with you on the research. Like I try and read as much as I can. I've got more saved than I have time to read. Um, it seems like, but sometimes it's hard too, is that research takes so long to catch up with what's coming out Mm -hmm. and it's at no fault of its own. It's just the nature of the beast. And so sometimes practice-based evidence isn't always the bad thing, especially on the front end. Somebody's got to experiment with it to figure out how to get it to go. And I always try to reassure my kids too, that I'm like, you know, you go through a program where you're tested on your skills without being able to use any notes or books. They said, that's not how the real world works. You don't know something in the real world. You don't know something and that's okay. Um, And that's when you go and, and you find out more. And so I think that being able to kind of rest assure those kids that it's like, it's okay to be wrong in the real world. Like, this is where like you find something, you try it. And if it doesn't work, you are evaluating it to know that you need to start over. And so I've also found too, that it's a lot easier to talk to parents when you have evidence and research because they're not going to really argue with that. And so not that I've had a lot of confrontational parents, I've been very fortunate with that, but it is nice to be able to say, well, research says and da da da. And and parents sort of like, Oh, Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. So. Yep. Had to use that one a few times. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, yeah, working back in the high school setting, I'm, I, it's, I, for two years as a GA, I didn't have to talk to parents. It was beautiful. <laughs> now in high school, it's like, oh man, I, I got to talk to parents, but no. And I think parents are appreciative too, because you know, they're always like, well, I, you know, I told them the same thing, but it's a little bit different when it comes from the athletic trainer or you can back it up with research and say, look, here's what this says. So no, but I agree. I have a lot of bookmarks saved and, I think I just try to get to things as the issues come up or as the topics yeah. come up. Um, I think, you know, I, I preach to my kids, you always have to be lifelong learners. You can never stop learning. You know, I've, I mean, we've been doing this for a long time and, you know, I, I still think we're learning and we're still doing and there's never going to be anything to not learn. And so to be that idea of lifelong learners and never wanting to stop reading or researching or, you know, finding out what's going on and, you know, Obviously, it's all different. I mean, you implement a lot more practice-based things than I do, and so, but even the research on education has changed a lot too. So, right, it's just trying to keep up with the times. Yeah, I think that I've always talked to people as why I like it so much is you can't. There's no best. You know, there's people that are really good, but I don't know that there's a best because it's just too big for any one person. Like you almost have to specialize in some capacity, mm-hmm. but still be good at it all. Yeah. You, you just, there's too much. It is. Yeah. But that's not a bad problem to have. Yeah. And that's what I, that's personally why I enjoy it is just yeah. because there is too much. Yeah. Keeps you going. Yeah. How have, have you found things that have been more effective or not in trying to get your students to critically think about things like that? Cause that's something that we keep, pushing on ours and some of them get it some of them not so much some of them just want to go by well this is what i was told and i we've 
to have the discussion of, you know, you got to know what you need to know to pass your BOC because right. that is the standard. Uh, but then kind of going beyond that. Yeah. Until something new can be created. But what have you, have you found anything that's worked better than yeah. other things? So I think, I mean, it's, it's, it, I, I definitely see the students are like, just give me the answers. Like, I just, just tell me what I need to know for this assignment or this exam. And, and you know, we're, I'm very fortunate to have a great faculty that teaches beyond that. Um, and really tries to reinforce the idea of, you know, this isn't something that you can just learn once and then just be able to recall it five years from now when you're doing whatever, you know, so being able to kind of critically apply it, um, you know, is huge. And our students, it, it's, it's a bit of frustration on their end because they're like, I just, I want it. I want the answers. I want to know what I need to know. And, um, you know, we try to come at it from you're working with living, breathing humans. Not one person is going to be the same. Um, so you can't have just like a, a cookie recipe approach to, to meeting with each person. And so one of the things that we've really started to implement, um, and this is something that I, is really going to take off now that we hired a new clinical coordinator, um, is we're going to do a lot of simulations, um, really try and create um, certain scenarios, maybe even collaborate. And this is where this, I mean, this is the beautiful thing about working in academics is that we can have these like interprofessional cross-department opportunities where we could work with the gerontology department and get that sort of aging population, or we could work with, you know, apparel and textiles and interior design to design facilities, or, you know, we have sort of these great interprofessional opportunities that then we can provide our students with these really kind of in-depth simulations so that they're, they're really critically thinking through the process and, and rather than just reading a piece of paper, you know, getting to interact with real kind of living, breathing humans. I think the other side to that is we have some really great preceptors um, that are letting our students just sort of not necessarily go, but you know, we've got a great, um, his name's Brandon Martino out at Junction City High School. Um, I mean, Martino is amazing. I mean, he really lets the kids, he's like, okay, like you're going to go do it. We have a senior that's getting ready to graduate um, that was there with him during football season. And Martino would let him run the the JV freshman games while, I mean, he was still there, but the student got to run it like he was the certified. And so really being able to create those real life situations for those kids has been huge because that senior came to me and was like, Jen, like, I'm ready. Like, I am ready to graduate. And I don't think I could have said that being in his shoes, you know, I don't think the words like, Hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to go out on my own ever left my mouth. And so those are really great things um, for us to hear that our preceptors are doing that. And so, um, but I think we're very fortunate in the resources that we have. Um, I think if you're in a position where maybe that's not an opportunity, I think the simulations and just really, I hate using the word force because it sounds so negative, but your kids have to think outside the box. They can't, no two people are going to be the same. No two injuries going to be the same. Um, they have to be able to think through the process and the, and the why and the how, um, why you're doing it when you're doing it, how you're going to go about doing it is just as important as knowing what you're doing. So I think we're going to see a lot of, lot more simulations here at K-State. Um, some real, real life patient simulations that are going to help those kids really kind of push the, push the bucket on, you know, not just knowing things, but being able to really think through that process. So we'll see. I like it. Curious to see how it goes. Uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. 
anything else specifically you wanted to cover before we jumped into some of these AT chat questions? Mm -hmm. No. I'm good. Let's keep rolling. So then with that, what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? you no, know, I saw that question and I was Loaded like, question. how do I want to answer that? I think that, you know, if you would ask me this question four years ago, I probably would have had a completely different answer than I do now that I'm on the academic side. Um, you know, I think for me, being an athletic trainer now in my current position means being able to excite and create the next generations of professional athletic trainers. Um, you know, I've been here for almost five years, and I think that I'm in a position now where classes are good. You know, now I can really focus on some other things. And I think a big thing that I have really dove into is giving back. I think really being a part of your organizations, whether it's campus, statewide, regional wide, whatever that looks like, um, I think is a huge proponent because I think that that's how you meet people. That's how you interact with people. That's how you get athletic training from where it is to the next level. Um, because I think that as great of a position as we as a profession are in now, I mean, I still think we have so much more distance to travel and go. Um, you know, these last 10 years have been huge for athletic trainers, but I definitely think there's, there's more distance for us to cover. And so, um, you know, I think really being able to give back um, and help other professionals um, is a is a huge is a huge proponent of, of what I think an athletic trainer means to me. And I think four years ago, I probably would have had a completely different answer uh, just coming out of being a GA and not really sure what I wanted to do. And um, so I've been very grateful that this opportunity has come because I think it's really helped to reshape and refocus my my love for this passion or my love, my love and passion for this profession. Um, and now I can take that to students. And so I think, you know, being an athletic trainer, I could sit here and tell you that it means diagnosing injuries and treating <laughs> injuries and all this kind of stuff. And that's just such a textbook answer, but I think it's so much more, you know, connections and relationships and communication than I think I'll ever be able to, to teach my students because it's just, things that you do and, and you get involved and you meet people and you find like-minded people and like interest people and you take your passions together and, and, you know, two people's sparks can really ignite a flame and it really takes our profession to some higher places. You know, I just went, for example, I just went to our physical therapy state meeting, really trying to kind of insert myself with those professionals and really try to build some bridges between two professions that I think for so long were just head to head and, um, really try to bridge some gaps. And I think that, you know, I think being an athletic trainer means just never stopping to tell, you know, never stopping telling your story and telling why you're, you're valued and why you're important. So. I like it. <laughs> what advice would you give yourself if you could go back as a young athletic trainer? Man, oh man. Hi. There are so many things I would tell Jen, Jen in college. <laughs> I tell Jen in college not to go out so much. No, um, <laughs> no, I think one of the things that I, and these are things I tell my incoming freshmen and I tell their parents. And so I, I feel good saying it now is that, you know, as much as you love this career in this and you're excited about it, you need to have balance. Um, I think as a GA, I was so excited and I wanted to do everything that I, by the time I realized I needed balance, it was too late. 
Um, and so I think as a, you know, you're going through your undergrad or your master's program right now, you're a young GA, you're a young professional, there has to be balance. You have to find time to have your out. You know, what is it that, that keeps you sane and, and keeps you excited and keeps you wanting to come back? You know, it has to be away from work. It can't be, oh, I'll come in on a Sunday morning when it's quiet. No, it has to be, <laughs> has to be away from the office. And so I tell my students a lot that, you know, it's okay to, you know, to step away and, and set training room hours and those kinds of things because you are no value to people if you are tired or burnt out or your mind's not there. And so I think if, if I could, if 31-year-old Jen could go back to 21-year-old Jen and tell her to just, you know, to breathe and just take time and find those outlets of balance because it gets hard in this profession. It's, it's very easy to slide down a, a slippery slope of, you know, you do something for one person and then all of a sudden it's like you're staying four hours later than you wanted to or you're coming in three hours early when it doesn't necessarily need to happen. And, you know, being able to find that work-life balance, I think, is really important. I would agree on that. There's definitely a fine line. Yes, and get a dog. Also a good way to get some balance. Yep, I, I learned that one as well. You still have your dog? Yeah, he's. We just got back from the vet this morning, but he's still trucking along. How is he? Oh, makes me so happy. He's getting old, but yeah. he's still still going. Good, but yeah, that was. I mean, obviously, because that's the one person. Person, I mean, you obviously have a person that gets excited to see you when you come <laughs> home. But, you know, it's nice to be able to come home and have something that is that is equally as excited to see you. You know, doesn't matter if you've been gone all day. So, yes, balance in a dog. Good excuse to get home over lunch to let him out. I I sometimes bring him into the office. My students love him. I'll bring him to class. Hilarious. He's the best. Yeah, he has a bow tie and everything. We get real fancy. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. What has been the most influential resource you have found in your career? Uh, I liked this question when I read that. And I think it's other athletic trainers. I think that I can read and go to go to journal articles and I can read and I can find things on the internet, but I think the most helpful resource has been connecting with other athletic trainers. I think social media has been a great thing. Um, there are so many athletic trainers that I follow or follow me on Twitter that I don't think I could tell you that I've ever actually met them. Um, but I think what, it, what are some good ones if you don't mind sharing? Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, aside from like the, the generic, like athletic training, um, kind of pages, you know, yeah. NCAA foundation, that kind of stuff. I recently started following the prehab guys. So okay. lots of like, and so I like that because it's great visuals for my coaches. So I'm like, I can explain to them how to do something. And I'm like, here's a video, like right. watch it. Um, you know, just connecting with, um, you know, I follow Mark Cobley from Iowa state, you know, on, on, uh, on Twitter, he's the head athletic trainer there. And he just got inducted into the model hall of fame. And so being able to find some of those, um, big, um, Rick Burkholder, Kansas city chiefs, head mm -hmm. athletic trainer. I follow him. He is like super inspirational. He came and actually talked to our students a couple weeks ago for a national athletic training month, we did a mental health panel and right. he is just like his passion for this profession is like, I mean, it's a level that I, I want to get to. And, and so he's a great one to follow. Um, but really just, I mean, it's, it's, it's any and all athletic trainers. I think I follow some from high school levels and college levels. And I think it's just fun when you can, you know, 
whether you've met people or not, you share and, and you share and you reshare, you tweet and you retweet. And I think other people have been, you know, my biggest, biggest resource. Um, I think the best thing about working track was that every team had at least two athletic trainers. And so that was 20 plus athletic trainers in one place at one time. And so right. I like thinking back, I was like, well, obviously you and, um, you know, there was a GA from TCU and, the GA from Texas that I, you know, just you sort of find your people and, and you stick with them and you get excited to see each other and you talk through things. And, um, you know, I still talk to kids from that I graduated college with. And, and I think that, that the people you meet are probably the best resources, because I think that if they don't know something or someone, they know somebody right. you know somebody. Yep. So I think aside from all the textbooks and journal articles and, and online databases, I think, other people have been probably my my good. You're a good one to follow on Twitter too. <laughs> I don't I don't do very good on keeping up on Twitter. I try. It's okay. You try. Yeah, <laughs> but I uh, yeah I think other people have been my greatest resource and my greatest asset to getting me where I am. So awesome. If you could change or eliminate one thing, could be a modality, a common practice, or a mindset in the field of athletic training. What would it be? Yeah, I mean, I talked about this a little bit when I talked about evidence-based practices. I think we just need to get away from the just because mindset. Yep. We I'll do this that because that's what my that's what someone did to me, or we do this because that's what someone told me. You know, and that can stem from a modality or a treatment. You know, I I've had a lot of conversations with athletic trainers at meetings and stuff that I think you know the the idea of modalities has a very sort of I don't want to say negative connotation, but I think for so long, you know, people just, it was ice and sim, right? I mean, yeah. just because that's what you did. And so I think being able to get away from that just because mindset and well, that's what I learned. So that must be right. And really being able to think, you know, through that process of, is this really the best thing for your athlete or your patient? Um, and so I think really getting away from that just because mindset is, is, and it's hard because I think I, when I started out as a professional, that was, I mean, I only based it based my you know my GA experience on what I had learned and what I had done, and so I think that it's it's very easy to fall into that just because mindset. But I don't think it's it's the best way to go about things. So yeah, we've tried to implement without the trying to offend anybody, and so I use it loosely, like the could we do it better or could mm -hmm. it be more efficient? Sure. Not that what we're doing is bad or wrong, right? But is there something else that could potentially sure. get us to where we want to go faster? Sure. Absolutely. So like instead of just on a sore hamstring slapping a bag of ice on it mm -hmm. or shins that hurt, could we actually go and do something beyond mm -hmm. that? Yeah. That's Absolutely. not necessarily a modality. And just trying to challenge people's thinking on that. And it's, yeah. it's, no, it's breaking it's, a cycle. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think even working with like coaches and stuff, it's it's hard too because I mean they come from a mindset of that just because too. And so, you know, really trying to break down those barriers with coaches of, you know, listen, coach, like we just that it's just not the best or the like you said, most efficient way to go about doing that. And so really trying to to kind of break those barriers down and yeah, but I think if, if I could do away with one thing, it would be that that mindset of, of stop doing things just because. I like that. I like it a lot. <laughs> Where do you see the profession of athletic training going in five to ten years? Holy moly! Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, this whole masters thing is has been mind-boggling. Um, I, I think I never would have seen this coming ten years ago, and so that's a huge thing. And I think just you know, reading up on some of the standards and competencies that potentially could be coming down the pipeline, I think that 
I really think that this profession of athletic training is going to take off. Um, I, what I'd really like to see is I'd like to see every high school have an athletic trainer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of research being done at those levels. And I just think to myself, I'm like, if my little itty bitty 3A rural Kansas high school can get it right, then, you know, surely other people, you know, can, can hire on these athletic trainers. And, and right. that's the one place as I see this going is the, the increase in the secondary school athletic trainers and there being a lot more jobs and, and people understanding that value. And two, I, I see a lot of just other inner healthcare, inner professional um, relationships being built. I mean, I think the APTA, NATA statement, that joint statement coming yep. out um, is big. Now, whether that trickles down to state levels is, is, I mean, that's state by state, but, you know, we're trying to make that happen here in Kansas. And so I see a lot of, of joint efforts happening across professions, whether it's PTs and, and athletic trainers or physicians and athletic trainers or, you know, chiropractors and athletic trainers. You know, I think I see a lot of that profession, um, professional relationships really starting to grow and, and foster and, and really creating true sports medicine teams um, around, you know, those areas that are able to do that. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do at Council Grove. And um, I think I'm curious to see, I think the most curious thing I have in the next couple of years is, is what these kids coming out with a master's degree are going to look like, you know, I think yeah. you and I got master's degrees, but we also got two years of experience. And so right. um, I'm curious how those clinical rotations at the master's level are going to foster those sort of experiences to get those kids ready to really go into being an entry level professional. Um, and so those are things that I'm really um, excited to see. And I, I think that's where a lot of those interprofessional relationships are going to happen is creating those clinical professions, um, clinical rotations for those future professionals uh, to be able to really create some really intense, immersive type situations. But I would also not be surprised if in five to 10 years, athletic trainers are doing IVs. And right. yep. you know, I, it's something that terrifies me because I'm like, holy moly, I have to go and learn that. Yeah. Um, and that's a whole other, you know, having to educate those that are going to educate. Um, but I would not be surprised if, if at certain levels that athletic trainers are, are doing, even if it's just a bag of fluid or, you know, suturing up somebody on the sidelines, but I would not be surprised if that's coming down the pipeline soon, sooner rather than later. I agree completely with that makes me nervous <laughs> but we've been able to do some of that um not real life but in our we have an advanced athletic training class and we got some suture pads and we've had somebody come down and we got some phlebotomy kits with some fake arms and so we've been able to like nice. really softly and slowly introduce some of those kind of experiences to our students so that i mean it's not i wouldn't call it anywhere close to a real world experience but you know, to be able to kind of offer some of those simulations has been kind of fun. And I will say there's probably some of my students that even if they learned how to suture, I would just rather sew myself up. But hey, that's why we learned. There you go. Right. Yeah, it's been some pretty fun days. To I can imagine. Yeah. So. Well, kind of in closing then, anything else you'd like to share? And if you wanted to have people get in touch with you or follow what you're doing? Yeah. What would be the best options? Yeah. So, um, I mean, no, I think just, I think never stop, never stop finding your purpose and, and never stop searching for your why, whether it's why you're doing what you're doing, why, why you're doing what you're doing. 
Um, just never stop searching for that why. I'm a I'm big on Twitter. Not big on Twitter, like I have a lot of followers, but um, <laughs> I use our Twitter. I'm sort of the official, unofficial uh, Twitter page for our K-State Athletic Training Program. So I always yeah. love to share um, what we're doing here, what our students are doing, what our preceptors are doing, what our college is doing, um, kind of cool things that showcase athletic training. And so um, it's uh, Canuck underscore ATC, so Canuck ATC uh, on Twitter. Um, I mean, I'm on all kinds of social media platforms, but I'm always happy to answer questions for people if they want to reach out and get connected. And I am always down to bring other faces in to meet our students. So I think the more people, awesome. professionals my kids can meet, the better it is. So Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you for being a part of this. Thanks for asking me. I feel so honored. <laughs>